The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, chriscooper.co.uk, and I'm delighted to be back with you again for yet another week. And uh, today I'm going to be talking to Darren LaCroix um, about owning the stage. And we're going to learn some secrets from a world champion coach and speaker. So this week's um, show is uh, going to be a really exciting one. I'm very excited to have Darren on today. But I want to also say thank you to my guest last week, Miguel Dean, who was sharing how to deal with adversity, having transformed his life after seven years of being homeless. Um, also, what a month we've had. We've had uh, Roger Harrop talking about how to succeed in the new game of business, Frank Finesse on how to sell in business today, and today we have uh, Darren. I'm also speaking on the Global Impact Summit on Tuesday, and you can access the talks and archives from 30 leading global thought leaders, including myself, via the link in my news section at chriscooper.co.uk, as well as accessing the entire radio show archive from here. So let's talk about today's show, and let's talk about speaking. Um, How well do you speak under pressure? And what if the process could just become so much easier. Now, how much more impact do you think you could have if you could listen to uh, and learn from the secrets of world champion speakers? Well, we've got one today. We have um, the incredible Darren LaCroix, um, LaCroix uh, to share with us his tips and techniques. Um, and uh, hoping by the end of this session, you can walk away with some ideas that will really help make your next speech uh, really special. In 2001, Darren LaCroix, the world champion of public speaking, outspoke 25,000 contestants from 14 countries to win that title. And uh, that was just a landmark. Since that victory, Darren has travelled the world, demystifying the process of creating a powerful speech. He's roused audiences in faraway places like Saudi Arabia, China, Oman, Malaysia and Taiwan. I know he did the same over in the UK last year. Uh, with his inspirational journey from chump to champ, proving that anything is possible if you have the willingness to work for it. Darren says um, he was born without a funny bone in his body, but he possessed the desire and the will and the willingness to fail necessarily to achieve his dream. The self-proclaimed student of comedy is living proof that humour is a skill that can be learned. He's co-author of Laugh and Get Rich and created Darren University, the ultimate online learning program for presenters. His trademark program, Get Paid to Speak by Next Week, has helped many speakers launch their very first uh, checks and, uh, and careers at speaking. So really delighted to welcome today, Darren LaCroix. Thanks. Thank you very much, Chris. Glad to be here. 
Uh, you're welcome, and uh, I believe you're over in New York today. I am in New York City. I just gave an event here last night talking about the same subject, owning the stage, and uh, going to spend Thanksgiving here and then head back to Las Vegas. Uh, well, so back, back to a bit more warmth. <laughs> a little bit. It's yeah. been chilly there, I hear, since I've been away. That's it. <laughs> well, Darren, do you want to uh, maybe start by you know, telling us a little bit about your story and uh, and also what inspired you to become a speaker, and particularly as you articulated in, in that introduction for me uh, about um, having been born without a funny bone in your body? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's actually quite interesting, as people have told me, but back in, I've always loved business. I went to four years of business school, and I knew I was an entrepreneur, but I didn't know what field or where I should study or what I should do. I had no idea. So at the very beginning, right after college, uh, I bought a Subway sandwich shop, and it was uh, going pretty well for about a year, and then they opened another one right down the road for me, and you know, took all the profits off the top and I was really struggling. In fact, I had to get a day job in order to pay my employees so I didn't default on my loan. And it was such a a challenging time in my life that I really, I was working 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. seven days a week and I just had to move back home with my parents and uh, one of my buddies gave me this motivational tape of Brian Tracy, a great motivational speaker, great expert. And I was driving down the road, the lowest point in my life, and he asked a question. He said, what would you dare to dream if you knew you wouldn't fail? And this thought popped into my head. I'd be a comedian. How cool would that be? Make people laugh and earn a living at that. That would be the ultimate. But all of a sudden, this little doubting voice said, but that's not you, Darren. You're not funny. You see, growing up, my brother and my cousin were very funny. And I, you know, I've kind of researched it and kind of went into my life and my past as to why did that thought pop up? Because I was not funny. But I realized as a child, I thought my brother and my cousin, who were hysterical, were getting more love than I was. And I wanted some of that. I realized that they stood out. More people liked them. They got more attention. And so I always thought that, wow, wouldn't it be cool to be funny? So now, because I was at the lowest point in my life, thank God, I decided that, you know what? I'm going to try this once because I didn't want to live with the regret of wondering, what if? What if I could have? And I could deal with bombing. I could deal with uh, people, you know, a bunch of strangers in a comedy club not liking me. But what I couldn't live with was the regret of not trying. So I went and, you know, naturally, if you want to be good at anything, you ask somebody who has already made it where you want to be. Now, I'd never even been to a comedy club in my life. So I decided, well, let me ask a comedian. If I'm going to try this, the only thing worse than uh, having the regret of not trying is the regret of trying, but only half-heartedly. So I asked this comedian after a show, I said, hi, my name is Darren. I want to try this. What do I need to do? And he asked me a question. He said, are you funny? And I said, no. And he said, good. (laughs) <laughs> I'm thinking, good? What do you mean good? And, but he had my attention, Chris. And so he said two things. Number one, you need to go get the book. And I'm thinking, book? There's a book about how to become a comedian? Well, as you know, Chris, as a, as a radio host, there's books and experts on everything. But I, I didn't think that way. So I went and got the book, which I highly recommend. If you want some more humor in your presentations, uh, it's about stand-up comedy, but it will really unlock the key that you can learn humor, which that's just sounds weird. Uh, but it is the truth. And the book is called Stand-Up Comedy, The Book by Judy Carter. Uh, so 
Chris, he said, go get the book. And I went and got the book. Sometimes success is not that hard. It's just the follow through that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, and then number two, he said, you need to go to open mic nights and watch other people just starting out. And I thought, well, that makes sense. Because when I told my friends and family, they compared me to Jerry Seinfeld. Someone just thinking about it to someone at the top of their profession. And, and that's not fair, but it's human nature. So uh, I went to a little comedy club in Boston called Stitches. I heard they had an open mic night. And I watched people go up for their first time. And Chris, they were horrible. <laughs> and I thought, I could do that. <laughs> it inspired me. So that was it. I was, I was just like, I'm, I'm going to try this. So I got more excited. I read the book. I studied for two months. I went to Stitches every Sunday night when they had an open mic night to get re-inspired. And it was also intimidating. But the more I started, the more I just thought, hey, they, you know, they didn't spontaneously combust. Nobody threw anything at them. Nobody beat them up after. I'm like, let me, let me do this. So it was April 26, 1992. And I just, it, it felt like that moment, Chris. Chris, do you ever have a moment in your life where it turned into slow motion? Absolutely. <laughs> Never you think back. Well, that was, yeah. this was my moment where I was, felt like I was walking up on stage and it was like I was so scared and nervous and I had my little jokes on note cards. I put them on the bar stool next to me and I was, I actually have it on video. I was shaking so much, but I didn't have the wherewithal to pull my hand off the note cards. So I'm trying to read while I'm shaking. And I told this one joke about Dr. Robert Goddard, who had launched the first liquid fuel rocket in history in my hometown. And it only went 41 feet. And I was making light of that. But I was so nervous, Chris, that I said the rocket took off and it went vertically. But I was so nervous that I did horizontally with my hand gestures. <laughs> so I, I said one thing. I did the exact opposite. And at that instant, I realized what I did. And I just reacted. I said, ah, shoot. Oh, Chris, that's not really what I said, but um, you got the idea. <laughs> I said, ah, oh, shoot, and everybody laughed. And I'm looking around in shock. I'm like, why are you people laughing? That's not where you're supposed to laugh, but I'll take it. And as I watched off stage, this other comedian put his arm around my shoulder, and he's like, don't worry, man. You know, it's just your first time. And I remember thinking, don't worry. Did you see what I did? I got a laugh. And it might have been by accident. But I got the result I was looking for. All I need to do is figure out how to reproduce that result. And I can do this. So I dove in. I took every class that I could. I found every comedy mentor that I could. And the, the, Chris, the thing I kept hearing over and over again was, for my mentors was stage time, stage time, stage time. They said, any day you don't get on stage is a day that you don't grow. Mm. And, and for most people, they think they have to be successful at what they do. And it's, no, you have to do what you do to become successful. And that was kind of a big eye-opening. I never learned that in college. I never learned that in business school. They never taught us the value of failing. And so as a result of that, I, at that time in my life, uh, I had finally sold the sub shop at a loss. And I was working full-time at Bose Corporation, the stereo speaker company, to figure out my life and what I was going to do. And this newsletter came across my desk about this thing called Toastmasters. And I'm like, Toastmasters, what's that? I started reading about it. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Here's a place I could get stage time during the day. Comedy clubs are only open at night. I could fail twice a day. <laughs> and so as a result of that, I just I went to the Toastmasters club. And I noticed these people were warm, encouraging, and sober. So I immediately went out and joined four Toastmaster clubs because I wanted to quadruple my failure rate. 
And through Toastmasters, kind of a long story, but through Toastmasters, I found NSA, the National Speakers Association, which is the sister organization to PSA, which is where you and I met, the Professional Speakers Association in the UK. And, and I didn't know there was this profession of speaking. And so here I am, loving humor, trying to make people laugh, but then realizing there's this profession that uh, I said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. I don't have to be as funny. I'll be in nicer environments. People will be sober and they'll pay me 10 times as much. <laughs> I thought, where do I sign up? That's crazy. And so I kind of committed myself to speaking. I slowly let go of the stand-up comedy, but I realized it was great training ground that I could handle almost any audience now. Uh, and it was pretty, pretty straightforward and pretty simple. And, uh, but I realized I had to obviously change my intention, which instead of my intention of making people laugh, humor being my message, what I did was I wanted to inspire people and humor was my medium to my message. So like you, Chris, I love the stage and that's kind of how it started. So I didn't start out wanting to be a speaker. I started out wanting to be a comedian and found out by accident that there was this profession where I could literally help people, have fun, and get to do what I love to do for a living. So I really never looked back. So I've been on stage every opportunity I get since 1992 and uh, did that last, last night here in New York. And it's where I feel the most alive. Fantastic. I'm wondering when... Earlier on, you said you'd listen to a Brian Tracy CD. Because the first um, exposure I really had to self-development was listening to a, a Brian Tracy um, series called The Look Factor. And I'm just sort of thinking there that you know, it's a great example of, um, uh, of, of the look factor in terms of you, know, you created your own look by putting hours and hours and hours of stage time into your craft to get you know, as good as you've got. Mm. Yeah, I love uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, too, Outliers. When I read that, I'm like, that's why I'm successful, because I put in the 10,000 hours. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, I'm not the ultimate expert. I won a speech contest out of 25,000 people, but I was really good on one day because I had great mentors, but I'm still learning, and I still love being hungry and trying new things. And as you and I both know, in self-development, you're never done. Absolutely, it's it's never ending, is it? And I mean, what um, I'm wondering uh, what it was like to be um, you know, to become world champion out of twenty five thousand people. That's quite an achievement. Yeah, well, part of where that came from, and I don't know if you've ever heard this part of my story, Chris, but really, uh, at that point in my life in two thousand one, I was a part time professional speaker. I still had my day job. I was taking every stage time I could, and at the same time, every waking moment, as an entrepreneur, you're marketing. So marketing, marketing, marketing. And the one thing I wasn't doing was working on my craft. And what I kept hearing from some comedy mentors, ironically, early on, is they said, Darren, stop looking for that joke. Stop looking for that story that's going to launch your career. Instead, take what you have, the stories you already tell, and make them so good Someone's willing to hear you and pay you for that. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's different. Because what I was doing for a while there was almost like that, that little creature in Lord of the Rings. Precious, precious. <laughs> and I was lusting after trying to find that story when I had the stories, but I never learned the craft of becoming an incredible storyteller. So it really came out of that that I joined the contest not to win, 
but I joined the contest in order to make the stories I was already telling better. And I just, as a result, I kept winning because I was working hard, not for this little speech contest, which turned into being a big speech contest. I did it so I could um, master my stories. And Craig Ballantyne, fellow friend and world champion, says, if you want to master peace, you have to master the pieces. And so I just kept winning and then you have, there's six levels of the contest that starts in your Toastmaster club and if you win that, you compete against other club winners and if you win that, you compete against other area winners and, and it goes on that the finals are uh, at our national convention in, uh, well, my year it was in An Anaheim, California and it's nine finalists out of the 25,000 and talk about pressure. Wow. Um, but again, I still, I had a great coach and if it was not for my coach, I would have wor worked really hard in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do is they, you can work really hard, but if you're not working in the right direction, uh, you're wasting your time. Mm. So there's a, you know, some things I've taken out of that uh, about the, the, the power and the importance of, of being a storyteller, uh, and also the importance of having great coaches as well to, to help you with your uh, speaking ability. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Yes, yes, and uh, and actually, that all of that that knowledge and wisdom is out there, isn't it? And if, if the, I guess the fastest way to work from A to B is to is to get that input as, as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sooner, the better, because a lot of people lose their dreams because they don't see the progress, and they don't see the progress, but because they're pursuing the wrong direction. Yeah. We're going to go to a commercial break now, but after the break, we're really going to get into uh, some of uh, Darren's kind of top uh, top tips and thoughts on how to uh, really own the stage. And uh, we'll start um, after the break with looking at um, some of the things that people people get wrong. So do join us again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Darren LaCroix, and we're talking about some how to own the stage. And Darren, I'm really fascinated to uh, to find out from you, because you've been so around this uh, speaking profession for so many years. I mean, what are the biz- biggest speak? Um, sorry, the biggest mistakes that you see uh, from speakers today? Well, the first, the, there's two mistakes that after over a decade of coaching speakers that I see over and over. And and for the, let's say for the emerging speaker or somebody who's a presenter. And I, and when I say speaker, I mean presenter. It's it, to me, it's all the same. But some people look at it differently. But an emerging speaker or somebody who's just getting started doing more and more presentations, the biggest problem is self-doubt, that we don't think our stories matter. We don't think that what we talk about is as important. And for some times, we, we miss the relatability. We, we miss that our stories are not about just a story and these words in a row, but it's actually the emotional change, the things that we've gone through, the adversities we've overcome, whether it's in business or personal life. So self-doubt at the beginning for a new presenter. And then at the other end of the spectrum, for the pro, the biggest present pro- problem I see with presenters is ego. So self-doubt at the beginners and ego at the professionals, that there are a lot of professionals out there that are really good, and they're so caught up in their own goodness that they forget what's really important, and they think it's all about them. And you know, I've had times where I've bombed, and it's because I, I got, let my ego get in the way. And whenever I bombed, if I look back, I realize the biggest difference was my intention, that you know, I might have had a great presentation the night before. They might have loved me. My intention was on. And the next day, uh, it's a whole new group of people, and they weren't there last night. You have to start again building that rapport. And if you get your ego in the way, a oh, huge problem, big disconnect. And uh, Chris, one of the things I love reminding people is you've got to connect before you can educate, entertain, or inspire. You must connect first. Mm. So, so you know, for example, in, in terms of connecting, is, is, uh, you know, what are your tips around connecting? Um, yeah, we, uh, I think it was David Brooks, one of the world champions that I learned from, uh, said that we all have different stories, but we all share the same seven emotions. And one of, one of the keys to connecting is the emotion of stories. And another way that I do it is I actually use a video introduction for a lot of my presentations. Some of them, uh, let's say, you can create a video introduction that connects your audience emotionally to you, or you can use one where you connect your audience emotionally to your content, meaning if you're talking about presentation skills. Uh, the problems, the flaws, the panic, the fear. So we can connect to that emotionally and, and get people's mindset. So you, one of our big challenge, whether it's a corporate presentation, a professional speech, one of our biggest challenges is cutting through the noise in everybody's head just to bring them present. And then we got to connect with our own self and get through our own noise and be present. 
And a lot of that just comes from focusing on the, the intent and the outcome for the audience, not for us. Yeah, makes, that, makes a lot of sense. And I mean, reading some of your literature, one of the, one of the things that you say is, is clearly very important for anybody who's speaking is to get really clear on the message. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, uh, how do you get really clear about your message? And, and what is a clear message? Uh, great question. And when, when I work with Patricia Fripp, who she's one of the foremost speaker co- coaches in the U.S., and she gets about $5,000 a day to work with CEOs. And when she walks into a room, the first thing she says to the CEOs is, if you didn't have an hour and could only say one sentence, what would that be? And what she's doing is clarifying what's, what's important. So the question that I ask myself when I get hired for a paid speech or when I'm teaching other speakers to the starting point of their presentation, I ask, when you're done speaking, what do you want the audience to do, think, or feel? When you're done speaking, what do you want the audience to do, think, or feel? And then I suggest get it down to 10 words or fewer. If you can get down to 10 words or fewer then you're clear. If you can't do that, you're not clear. And until you do, there's no reason to put together the presentation because, again, you could work really hard in the wrong direction. Great advice. Really great advice. And uh, I'd say that many, many speakers and speeches that I've seen, um, if you probably asked that question, uh, they would be <laughs> stumbling for an answer. Exactly. <laughs> well, and if you look at, too, the success of, like, TED Talks, you know, they're 18 minutes, and it's one idea, an idea worth spreading. And I know that, you know, if you get a TED Talk, that they put you together with a coach. And I know what the coach is. Um, Kathy Armias is a coach, TED coach that I know. And I know that that's the thing that she hones in on. What's the one idea? And everything has to be around supporting that one idea. Now, you may have some sub points in a professional speech where maybe you have an hour or if you're doing a corporate presentation, you have some other points, but what's that one overriding point? And, and it's got to be clear. You know, I learned from Patricia again that one of the biggest enemies of presenters is sameness, especially in the corporate arena. That when I'm coaching corporate like sales presenters, they, you know, they deliver their message and they deliver it at the same tone and the same pace and the same cadence and this is most important, but you're not going to notice it because my voice hasn't changed, you know. <laughs> and I say, what's really important? And then you got to let us know, you know, put a pause before it, put a pause after it. But somehow make that statement, that really crucial idea or statement come through. If you're not delivering it like it's important, the audience is never going to get that it's important. I'm, I'm glad you increased your tone just there because um, it was just about uh, about five or six seconds where for the first time in this interview I was about to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us, um, you know, one thing that I think people really struggle with when with a speech is how to structure it. What are your thoughts on structure? Well, again, everything I learned was from some masters that I sat down with and got coached. And again, Patricia Fripp, she has this amazing speech structure. And when I, I love Toastmasters, and when I first came to Toastmasters and became a speaker, they teach you, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. So my first keynote speech for my book, Laugh and Get Rich, 
I had an opening, I had a closing, and I had a bunch of stories and points in the middle, but there was never that cohesiveness. There was never that uh, memorable idea that we got so clear. So what I picked up from her that was missing from me was that basically in 45 minutes, you really only have time to make three points memorable. So each point, you do what I call evidence. So let's say one of my points when I'm talking to presenters is never turn down stage time. Never turn down stage time. Uh, because that's what I learned from my mentors. So then I tell a story of my high school buddies who used to make fun of me because I used to drive two and a half hours from Boston to Portland, Maine to go on stage for five minutes for free and then come home and I go to work the next day, my day job. And I do this for free and they thought I was stupid. Now I get to fly all over the world. I get to do what I love to do for a living. Now those same high school buddies look at me and they say I'm lucky. So apparently you can go from stupid to lucky. If anyone's ever called you stupid, keep going. You're on the right path. So now I have another story that I talk about my mentor. And then I have some other uh, proof or evidence that backs up the value of stage time. But all three of those stories, all three of those pieces of evidence reinforce the one point of never turn down stage time. Mm. Now, the second thing, if I want to teach people to be world class, you have to record yourself. So now I have three pieces of evidence that back that up. One of them is a visual that I show of my closet. And the closet is full of videotapes for our younger listeners. Videotape is something you'll have to Google. It's what us old people used to watch as a flat DVD, but uh, a flat, long piece of DVD. But anyway, so it's a visual that shows how much of the recording I've done of my own speeches that I've gone back and studied. And I say that, look, some people are jealous of my trophy in Toastmasters. I get that. I was jealous of the men and women who, who uh, won before me. But I've never found anyone in all my travels who was jealous of my closet. And then I show the picture, and it blows people away. So when you're structuring your speech, you want to have that opening, and you want to clearly know when you're done speaking, what do you want the audience to do, think, or feel? And we can look at that as our premise. And your premise is the thought or the idea that you're selling. So get clear on what's my premise, the thought or the idea that you're selling. So, for example, in one of mine is... Every presenter can create a world-class presentation. Well, a good premise gets the audience to think, well, how? Well, if you get your audience leaning in and wanting to know how, they're listening. And listening is the key to connecting. So now I give them my three points, but I back up those three points with three pieces of evidence. Because you have different learning styles and different people who are are dealing with their whole brain and their whole past and the way they think. So those three pieces of evidence have to point to that one point. Then we have a close. So we may recap before the close. But we have an open, we have a close, we have our three points of wisdom, and then we want to back each point up with three pieces of evidence. Now, in a corporate presentation, one of those pieces of evidence might be a case study, might be a story, might be a... Some other proof might be an interactive activity. So you might get them up and doing something. It depends on your style. But either way, we want to make sure people clearly get that point. And again, all of this opening, closing, three points of wisdom, 
and three pieces of evidence for each is how you make a presentation more memorable. Because if you have 10 points and some people use the acronym method where, you know, success and then S is for this and U is for this. And by the time they get to C, you're like, are you kidding me? We have to go through the whole word. You know, people are ready to shoot themselves. So it feels a bit contrived sometimes as well, doesn't it? You try to fit the point to the... Contrived is an elegant word. You're very kind. <laughs> that structure is absolutely brilliant, by the way. <clears throat> I, shall be, I shall be rewriting my keynote next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went for seven years without knowing that structure, and once I saw that structure, I'm like, that's why people don't remember. Because, you know, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them is just not enough. It's just it's not enough to have a good opening and a good closing because in the middle, if you mess us up or uh, it's so easy to lose people's attention that it's hard enough. So a good structure is the foundation. So you scratch it out on paper before you even think of putting it in PowerPoint. You know, a lot of people think they're saving time. I'll just do it in PowerPoint or I'll take an old presentation and I'll just do it for this new client. And because of that, they create some problems that they're not going to see until the moment they're presenting or worse, they never see it, and they just wonder why they don't get the sale or they don't sell their idea. Mm. Lot of lot of wisdom in there. Mm. Uh, so, obviously, you know, you 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 talked there earlier on about uh, about having a number of stories, and uh, you were looking for the winning story, but actually, the goal was probably in the stories that you had. It was the way that you tell them. I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of using? Um, you know, humor and dialogue and things like that in your stories to really get your message across? Well, if you think of the heart of presenting is stories. The heart of what we do is stories. We're trained from childhood to love stories, understand stories, and a story well told will become memorable. We'll, we'll love to hear it and we want to hear it again and again. We've, I don't know, Chris, about you, uh, have you ever had a child come up to you right before bedtime and say, Mommy, Daddy, show me a PowerPoint presentation? Uh, they have. Uh, <laughs> no, I can honestly say that my children have never said that. <laughs> Although my, 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 um, my eldest son does come just before bedtime and want to play with a PowerPoint presentation. Um, he, does, uh, he does love to play them, but no, they've never done that before. <laughs> no. So from childhood, we were taught to love stories. So if we look at the heart of what we do, if we want to be more compelling, it starts with our stories. And when I first worked, now I had been a presenter for seven years, even paid uh, as a professional presenter for seven years, but I still had my day job. And when I came to my coach, Mark Brown, I told this story of when I went home to tell my parents I wanted to be a comedian. And I told it in narration. And that's one of the biggest problems that presenters have is they tell stories in narration. And narration is what happened last week, last month, last year. What I could suggest, if you could get anything, one idea to make you a more intriguing speaker, even one-on-one conversations, it would be to tell your stories in dialogue, meaning bring us to the moment and let us hear the conversation as opposed to this is what happened. This is what was said. Uh, when I first told my, the story of telling my parents I wanted to be a comedian, I said, so I went home to tell my parents I wanted to be a comedian, and they were speechless. Ugh, that's boring. That's what happened, 
but there's no emotion involved. There's no connection involved. So Mark, my coach, looked at me and he said, Darren, you need to tell that in dialogue. And so it turned into, now, a lot of this is a visual, so you won't get that, but I'll explain it after. So I went home to tell my parents, Mom, Dad, I want to be a comedian. And I have this big grin on my face, but because they didn't say anything, then I let the big grin slowly wilt away to nothing. And so you see the reaction, but you heard the dialogue when I was telling them. And then I stepped to the side and I said, I was met by silence to clearly make sure everybody knew it was happening. But everyone knew because I was letting it hit my face. So I don't want to teach people to have too much theater, but there are some elements of theater that can make us better storytellers. So when you hear the conversation, me telling my mother and father, and you see the reaction, you know, reaction tells the story. Another way that you can be more compelling in your presentations is to let us see the emotional reaction. Because when I told that from the stage in front of 2,000 people in the contest, people like laughed out loud. They loved it. Now, no one in the audience could probably relate literally to telling their parents they want to be a comedian, but everyone in the audience could relate emotionally to that parent-child conversation where they didn't know what to say. So whether it was you as a child thinking of one of those conversations or you as a parent thinking of one of those conversations. So this is, goes back to right what we said at the beginning, Chris, which was the you must connect first and we connect on emotions. So here's a way that you can tell better stories. Now this is easier said than done, but it starts with understanding and I want to bring, bring people that awareness. Tell your stories in dialogue. Don't tell us what happened last week, last month. Bring us to the conversation. Oh, you should have understood. I wish you were in my office when my boss called and said, LaCroix, this is enough. We lost the customer because of you. Okay, that's much more compelling than my boss called me and was very upset. Mm-hmm. You know, that's boring. Anyway, that's so dialogue and humor. You know, hu- you know, I get this because of my background. A lot of people want to add more sp- humor in their presentations and one of the biggest mistakes that I see out there is that people steal jokes from the internet or they steal stories from other speakers that they've heard and they're like oh I'll tell this this was funny and I'll make it sound like it was happened to me no don't do that if it's funny it's on the internet it's going around the internet and people have heard it you instantly lose credibility if people even think you got the joke from the internet or think you stole it from another speaker you lose credibility so people from around the world, when the, the humorous speech com- contest comes up in Toastmasters, they say, I need to find a funny story. I, I got to find a funny story. And I'm like, look in the mirror. <laughs> but most people don't want to look in the mirror. But if they looked at, you know, the, the power of connection also comes through our humility, obviously the opposite of ego. But if we, I tell people, look for your failures and your flaws and also look for your firsts. You know, Craig Valentine, my fellow world champion that we coach together, we kind of coined that phrase. He says, your failures, your flaws, and I say your firsts. That first time you did something, tell us that story. That could be funny. Our embarrassing moments, our embarrassing stories, audiences love to hear those, but quite honestly, we have to have confidence to show humility. 
Absolutely. Well, we've got to go to commercial break again now. So we're going to continue again in, in just a couple of minutes and uh, looking forward to chatting more. It's great stuff. Thank you, Dan. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, Darren LaCroix. And uh, Darren, before the break, you were talking about, about using your first sort of story. And uh, we also, right at the beginning, you said that one of the problems that presenters have when they're first starting out is self-doubt. And you know, I have a story, for example, that I tell, which is about a, uh, my first kiss, which is slightly embarrassing. Um, but it oh, is, that's it is, awesome. It is a first. And, and I just wondered, you know, for people who, who are starting about, how do you overcome that self-doubt and, uh, and feel, you know, confident enough to be able to tell a, a first story that may be slightly humiliating? Well, number one, I would always tell the story to your friends. Tell it as many times as you could, even one-on-one conversations over the phone. But the more you tell it, the more succinct succinct it will get. It's funny that when something dramatic happens to us, we'll, we, we go this, through this natural storytelling process where we'll tell it, we'll give way too much information, but we'll see feedback when people are interested in what we're saying or where we go through the boring parts, and then something exciting happens. And, and first we have the story, then we fillet it. We, we make it shorter because we want to get to those dramatic moments. And then all of a sudden we kind of fortify it. 
So we kind of add a little drama and more, a little more exaggeration. It's kind of a quick version of my storytelling process. So find them, fillet them, cut out the extras, and then fortify them, make them a little more interesting. But what I love about your story of the first kiss is that we can all relate. We've all hopefully had a first kiss. But when we hear a story of your first, we're also kind of connecting it to our first. And people like that. So the more you tell a story, the more comfortable and confident you'll get because you'll see the reaction and see that you get some kind of reaction. If people are just sitting there like, yeah, so what? You you realize, okay, maybe I'm not telling it right. But if you can, I mean, find a coach or find somebody to help you or guide you because it's really hard to be a great storyteller in isolation. Uh, We really, no matter what it is you want to do or be, you need to have somebody give you some guidance. You know, go get a book. Steve Jobs has a phenomenal book on on speaking. Uh, Judy Carter has another great book called The Message of You. Um, One of my favorite books out there is by the Heath brothers, Chip and Dan Heath, called Made to Stick. Why urban legend stories are so sticky, and we can use some of those principles in our speeches. Um, But gaining the confidence, especially if you don't present a lot, it's, it's not easy. It's really, you know, don't beat yourself up, but realize that if you're willing to open up and show your humanity, that's what people connect to. If we want to look good, people disconnect from that. Uh, Chris, did you ever see the movie Avatar? Oh, yes. Yes. Many One times. of my favorite metaphors uh, coming from that as a speaker coach is that if you remember the banshee, which was that like pterodactyl animal Mm. that they rode, that they had to climb to the top of the mountain. What I love about it is then the banshee chose the rider. Yes. And I think that's a metaphor for you and me when we're on stage that we have to be likable to have the audience choose to connect to us. Otherwise, just because they're sitting there listening, they may, you may have turned them off in the first story of the first you know, opening 60 seconds. So they just emotionally shut down, cross their arms, sit back, and start thinking of what else they have to do that day. So we have to be the presenter. We have to be the hunter that wants to have the banshee choose them to let people choose to connect to us. If they don't connect to us, there's no education, no inspirational, and and no information passed on. There's definitely no persuasion. So uh, it's not easy, but we have to open up a little bit. And people really have a challenge with that because of the whole ego thing and and the wanting people to like us. Well, if you want them to like you, open up. Give, Give some real story, you know. How could you not like a presenter talking about a failed first kiss? Like, boom, done, I'm there. What else you want to tell me about? All right, now teach me rocket science, Chris. Why? It doesn't make sense, but it's human nature and how the brain works. I had, some, I had somebody come up, up to me after sharing that at a speech, very, very excited, and, uh, and it turned out that she actually uh, knew the girl in question. <laughs> All right. That doesn't happen every day. But that's funny. That was quite interesting. Um, so you touched on there about um, you know sometimes people don't speak occasion only speak occasionally. However, it can be you know if you're a corporate executive, for example, that you you maybe have to just speak but you speak but on big occasions when you haven't had all the hours and hours of of practice time that you've had of stage time. Uh, what are your thoughts on on how to 
you know, to go out there and do at least a good job. Well, if you're if you're an executive, I'm assuming executive at any level would be smart enough to get some help, especially if time is the issue. Uh, I would definitely create a speech structure and lay out the foundation, or have somebody work. You know, find the best presenter in your company and have them come sit with you for an hour just to get the basics down. And if you have a foundation, what the foundation does is it brings you confidence. If you know I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and you have an order and a structure to it, it makes it easier. You don't have to be perfect. But what I would say is you want to get clear on your message. It always goes back to that. When you're done speaking, what do you want them to do, think, or feel? So even if you're an executive, you don't speak all the time, but you're clear that the outcome for your audience is that this new 401k plan is good. Good for you, good for the company. Okay, if that's the idea or point you're selling, okay, now we get to prove it. So get clear on what we're trying to do, and now your opening should support your premise. Your closing should support your premise. And get the opening closing down. If you can come in with power, or, and, I should say, leave with power. Leave. No, uh, Patricia says, your last words linger. You know, the last thing that comes out of our mouth, you know, should not be thank you. You know, one of the pet peeves that I have watching corporate presenters is their last slide being thank you. Really? You need a PowerPoint slide to, sh to say thank you? Why not shut it off, look at me, and say thank you? Much more powerful. Thank you is not a great way to end, but the worst way to end is thank you on a slide. It's like, really? So we got to be aware of the, you know, the most important part of a presentation is the thought process in the listener's mind. What are they thinking? And we don't realize how our opening affects the audience's thoughts, how our closing affects the audience's thoughts. So we really want to come back to get, get the best presenter in the company and have them sit down with you for an hour. They can probably help you more in an hour or a half hour at least get you honed down and have the best designer in the company, the best PowerPoint slide creator to create it. But you got to give them a basic outline that you're trying to uh, convey this message. And realize if you're an executive, you still have to be emotionally connecting. Now, I'm not saying tell you know, sob stories about running through meadows. Hey, give a, tell us a story about your kids. But not just a story, a story that makes a point. You know, when your kid taught you a message, when your pet taught you a message, just give us one of those near the beginning so we can at least emotionally connect and realize you're not just this suit, you're also a person. Mm. You, do, you mentioned in there, we've only got about five minutes left, so um, I want to ask you about PowerPoint, and I want to also just um, have a quick chat with you about um, Lady and the Champ. Um, so... You mentioned PowerPoints in there and not having a hello, sorry, a thank you at the end of your speech using a PowerPoint. <laughs> but what, what is your view on PowerPoints? Do you, do you recommend using PowerPoints or do you suggest people shy away from them? Or what, what's your thoughts? I'm, I'm okay with PowerPoint if you know how to use them and realize it's a support and that you should still create your speech structure without your PowerPoint and then you build your PowerPoint to support it. So I'm okay with using it, but here's the, the key to make it even much more powerful is to number one, every slide equals one point. And I, I do this with executives and sales presenters. I say, I sit with them, I put up one of their slides, I say, okay, what's your one point from this? Well, uh, what I'm trying to, well, boom, done, you should know. 
And if you got way too much text, the audience can either read the slide or listen to you. So there should not be more than 20 words on a slide. In fact, there should probably be nine or, or 10 tops. But the biggest thing that I could do is the B button is the most powerful button on the keyboard. Remotes have them too, but it doesn't say B. What it does, it renders the screen black or blank. When you open your speech, have the black or blank up and talk to us. When you close your speech, your call to action, have the black up, talk to us. And in between, whenever you're telling a story, and what happens is if you can start to learn to use the B button, you'll realize that if it's up the whole time, it's not interesting. If it's black the whole time, it's not interesting. What makes it interesting is going back and forth between the two. So I'm okay if you kind of use the PowerPoint to prompt yourself. That's fine, especially if you don't do the presentation that often. But black it out or blank it out and talk to us. Because what it does is it averts all the attention to you. You turn the slide on, the attention goes to the slide. You turn it off, it goes back to you. So use it as a tool. And be careful how much text you have on it. One point, one slide, and use the B button and talk to us. Excellent. Darren, <clears throat> we've got um, just a, a couple of minutes. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about Lady and the Champs? Yes. Awesome. Thank you. I have a event every year with Patricia, who I mentioned, Craig Valentine, who I mentioned, and Ed Tate, another world champion. So we get together once a year and we have our conference in Las Vegas. And it's ladyinthechampsconference.com. And it's two days with four of the best speaker coaches, in my opinion, in the world. I sit and listen to the other guys and, and Patricia and take notes myself. They're flipping brilliant. So it's two days with two of the best speaker coaches in the world, February 28th and March 1st in 2015. And the cool thing is we've actually have this year where we're actually going to live stream the conference. So you can actually watch it at your company or watch it at home and have a couple friends over like a Super Bowl party, uh, something like that, and stream it live from wherever you are in the world. But we teach you the best of storytelling, uh, how to build the business if that's of interest to you. And we're actually going to have... People of your listeners might know uh, Robert Fripp, yes. who is one of the foremost guitarists in the country. Rolling Stone rated him the 41st guitarist in the history of the world that are alive. And he's actually he's brilliant from the group King Crimson. Yeah. He worked with David Bowie on Heroes. But he's actually going to be there and talk. And this is one of the most brilliant, wisdom-filled man I've ever met in my life. And fortunately, it's Patricia Fripp's brother. That's how we're getting him there. So it will be quite a quite an occasion. I'm looking forward to being there myself. Well, having just spent been to the Professional Speaking Association's annual convention a few weeks ago, which I also had the pleasure of speaking at, uh, Patricia Fripp was there for a good section of it, and she was fantastic. So if you get the opportunity to uh, to go to that, I would. And I believe that's also being sort of uh, you know over, available over the internet as well. Is yep, going to be live streamed. That's, that's and you can find out the info uh, again at ladyinthechampsconference.com. Or if anyone wants to get my free newsletter, they can go to top10speakingtips.com. I write an uh, email every week on something new that I'm learning as I go myself. Fantastic. And also, you have another site, darrencroy.com? Um, yep. yep. That's my main site L A C R O I X, um, Darren, D A R R E N. Wonderful. Well, we're going to have to go now, Darren, but it's been absolutely tremendous talking to you today. Chris, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for asking, and I think what you're doing 
is really helping people, and uh, I hope to share the stage with you one of these days. Oh, thank you. That would be a bit of a dream come true from my perspective, so I better get, <laughs> better get some stage time in. <laughs> <laughs> and, Darren, thank you very much. And, and next week, um, I wish everybody in the United States a very happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll be repeating a show due to Thanksgiving with Mike Ogilvy, which was a very popular one about, uh, about profit. So I uh, wish you all well, and I should be back with you again in uh, just uh, a, a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.